Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Tend to learn the same lesson. And so Rosemary, the other day when she found out, because I never told her about this, and I, you know, Pastor Alex and I were talking about it. She says, oh, yeah, we'll do this, and we'll get this together, and we'll have Rosemary do one and all that. Well, he didn't tell her like until like a couple days before. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, by the way, Wednesday, you're up, you know. And so she looks at me. She goes, what are you doing? And I, I said, well, I'm doing this. And she goes, okay, well, I'm going to do it on this. I said, oh, yeah, that's, that's far enough apart. We won't stomp on it. She stomped all over my class. So I had to figure out, have I learned any other lessons other than that one? And as I started going through it, I realized that I have learned a lot of lessons. Unfortunately, I'm one of those guys that has to learn the hard way. I don't know about you. I, you know, it'd be really nice if I could just learn the easy way. But somehow I have to take the you know, $2 worth of nickel knots on my head before it gets through. And so, but tonight is one of those lessons. I really, uh, once I figured out last week that, that I wasn't going to, because what I was going to do is probably the greatest lesson that I have ever learned in my life is, is uh, on love. And Rosemary used every scripture that I would use on that. Um, and I, I do want to take a moment, if I can, just maybe about two minutes and just share this with you. Because most of you probably remember uh, Shannon. Does, does everybody remember Shannon? Uh, Shannon, you know, she's in heaven now. But when, when I first met Shannon, uh, we can say that it was not a relationship made in heaven. It was kind of a relationship made in Dolan Springs or something. I don't know. It was, a, it was, it was not really uh, a good one. And uh, Shannon, was, Shannon was, to say the least, a little odd. Um, and she wore her oddness like a badge. She was very proud of it. In fact, we did not realize how committed she was to being odd until we did her memorial service, and I believe it was her brother or her cousin got up and told the story about when they lived in New York and the, the movie Jurassic Park had come out. Shannon had decided to completely decorate her whole apartment with dinosaurs, with humidity pumped in, the sounds, the noises, the lighting, everything. So when you walked in, it was like you were walking into Jurassic Park and that you had the roar of the... She was just an odd lady, you know, and... And so uh, it was, it was kind of strange. Well, we had one day, we had a collision, her and I. Um, she, when I would preach, she would talk to me. And when I, and I'm not saying she would go, amen, or, you know, preach it, pastor, or you got it right, or some encouraging thing like that. She would ask me a question while I'm preaching. And she would talk to me, and she would say things, and she would comment, and and uh, then during worship service, she would stand up, not facing this way where the worship team is, but she would turn around and go, come on, let's all. And so one day I thought, enough's enough. You know, I'm already, you know, struggling because things are happening and whatnot. And I'm thinking, I don't need this person doing this. And so I'm thinking, you know, I got to put a stop to this. So in between services, I come off stage to talk to her. And she knows I'm coming to tell her to stop. So she starts running across the, the, the 
backwards going like this to me and there's the camera is on and people are watching and she's like putting up the sign of the cross as if I'm the devil or something. So that was on a Sunday. So that next Monday, Kathy and I and another couple in the church, we, we, were, uh, we flew out to go to a conference in California and we're drive, we got into a rental car and we're driving and, and I get this phone call from my son, Jason. And Jason says, uh, Dad, I said, yeah. He goes, don't get mad, but Shannon put an article in the newspaper, put a letter to the editor. I said, what? She, he goes, yeah, let me read it. And I don't remember all that it said. I should, we should have copied it. We should have got it because it was classic. She goes, nobody's going to tell me how to worship God. If I want to worship and dance like Madonna, that's what I'm going to do. Now, the good news is she didn't mention me or the church in which that was. But I was at that point, I was done. I, was, I had determined in my mind, I have never kicked anybody out of church ever. And there's probably a lot I should have, but I never have because I've always believed in grace. But I had determined in my mind, I'm kicking her out. She's done. I'm over. She can go somewhere else. So I go to this conference, and this guy gets up. He starts preaching, and he's preaching on love, and he's talking all about this. Well, I am convicted so deeply that it, it's, I mean, it's making me mad. And so I get up and leave. I left conference, get up and I walk out in the parking lot. And I'm yelling in the parking lot, you got to be kidding me. There is no way. And I knew what God was saying. And God spoke to me very clearly. He said, John, stop trying to change her. Love her. And I am, I am seething. Well, I am obedient. So I came back and um, I stopped trying to change her. And I happened to, at that time, the aisle was in the middle right here. And I, I sat on this side of the church and I sat down because I was getting ready to take the stage. And I noticed that her legs were hurting. You could tell she was in pain. And I said, Shannon, can I just pray for you? And she kind of, you know, reluctantly let me pray for her. And then just a couple things happened over the next three or four weeks. And well, make a long story short, she really began to take a liking to me. We became very good friends. But the thing that happened was at that time, probably nobody really cared for her much. But as I began to loosen up and just love her, now I didn't get on stage and say all this, but what happened is that love, the love of God, began to permeate her and other people began to love her. And she began to change. She was not finished by any, she's finished now, thank God. But she is, was not finished at the day of her passing. But that she was a very kind, generous, intelligent, funny. She had a sense of humor. She named her dog Guido. You know, I mean, she just, she, she, she was an awesome person. And so the reason I was going to teach on that, because then I was going to teach on love, is because oftentimes, whether it's a, a, on a job or a marriage or in a family or, or in a church, we spend so much time trying to change the people around us. And God says, if you'll just love them, they'll change. And that is the single greatest lesson I've ever learned. And it is something that I still practice today. And, and I go out of my way. And sometimes it costs me. I'll be honest with you. There's times when loving like that comes at a price. But I, I could tell you that I've never been disappointed in the long run. Loving people is always a good thing. Can you say amen? So tonight what I want to do is something a little bit different. It's, it's, it works with love. I want to talk about activating our faith. 
And, you know, there is a scripture. This is another, actually, I could say this is another lesson. When we, when we were first going through all the COVID stuff back in 2020 and the government was deciding to shut down everything and all, you know, nobody knew what to do. You know, we don't know. Do we shut the church down? Do we keep it going? What do you do? We don't know how bad this thing is going to be. I remember going into the prayer room and praying. And I was praying because I was wrestling. You know, if I shut the church down, am I just capitulating and running in fear? Or am I walking in faith? Because I truly wanted to walk in faith. And I remember God speaking to me in the prayer room very clearly. He says, love operates or is expressed through faith and vice versa. They express one another through each other. And so you can't have love without faith, and you can't have faith without love. They work through their, an expression of each other. And I remember God speaking to me and saying, you know, right now there's a lot of people's sensitivities and sensibilities on the line, and what we need to do is be a servant. There'll come a time when we need to make a stand, and we will. But right now we need to walk in love. And we, that is going to be how you express your faith. And I remember that was so rich to me because it really did hold me. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to talk about activating our faith. And in the Bible, in the Hebrews chapter 11, <clears throat> excuse me, verse number 6, the Bible says this, But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, there is a lot being said in that one verse, a lot being said. But one of the things that we discover fairly quickly in life is that without faith, not only is it impossible to please God, but it's actually impossible to live life. I want you to think about this for a moment. We need faith in everyday life, in every matter at every turn. I would propose to you today that you coming into this room and sit, sit, sitting, taking your seat in the chair you're in was an exercise of faith, okay? And so I want you to think about this because even in the most common things of life, faith is the basis by which we accomplish it, okay? Now, one of the reasons it's so easy is because, you know, in 57 years of living, I've sat down in a lot of chairs, you know, and so I have experience. And so I know what a chair is. I know what it does. Now, there has been a chair or two that's let me down. <laughs> I remember we were at a, 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 a there's an organization in town called uh, Kingman Evangelical Ministerial Association. And they meet at various different churches. Well, this particular time we were over at Hope City and, and uh, we were all there, all the pastors, and they had brought out the chairs and they had brought out, you know, those white plastic chairs you get at Kmart, you know, they're kind of, some of them are kind of flimsy. Well, this particular one had seen better days and it was already broke. And so this body is not something that should be testing broke chairs. Okay, so I go, and when I sit down, usually gravity takes over, and I don't rather, I don't sit gracefully, I plop. And so I plopped into the chair, and all four legs go, boom, out, and I go, and, but it's not just me hitting the floor, I, I have the added pleasure of rolling. <laughs> so I had enough momentum that I kind of rolled, 
and everybody's gasping. <gasps> oh my God. And it's like, you know, you pastors, pray. Come on, man. Somebody pray. And they're all just standing there and nobody's coming to my rescue. And I'm like, we need to teach you guys something. Anyway, but I, there I am. And, and now I had faith that that chair was going to hold me up, but it was broke. And so I had a different experience. That's because my experience has always been that when I sit down in a chair, generally it holds me up. Amen? Are you catching that? So even though it is something that we do on a regular basis, even though we have lots of experience, it still takes faith. Now, I haven't been back to Hope City since because I don't trust their chair. No, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. If you, anybody from Hope City is watching, that's not true. I, I apologize. It's not true. I love your chairs and I love your pastor. Steve, you're a great guy. You're awesome. Anyway, somebody's going to go tell him that I was talking about him and he'll watch this. So anyway, uh, the reality is it's something that we use every day. You don't live life without faith. Now, when we pull it into the Christian realm, when we pull it into the Christian realm, sometimes what happens, it seems like, well, I don't even know how to do this. I don't know what to do. No, you know exactly what to do. You know, and you've done it a thousand times, a million times. You've done it over and over and over. You know what to do. You say, well, I, I don't know. I remember a lesson that I learned talking about life lessons. When I was in high school, I was in 10th grade, and so this would have been about 1981. In 1981, I was in 10th grade, and this is when personal computers were first coming out. So this is, uh, those of you that know computers, this is when the Commodore 64 was out, the TRS-80 was out, and they were really slow, they were junky, they were anything. But, but what they taught you in school is they taught you how to do programming, and they, they used a language called BASIC. Okay, and so the first day of my computer class where they taught us how to uh, uh, write programs, the teacher gets up there and he says, okay, everybody, take out pen and paper, and I want you to write down the steps that it takes to call a friend on the phone. Now, I'm going to reach back a little ways, so if there's anybody here that's relatively young, you just have to bear with us. This is back when we had dial phone. Anybody remember a dial phone? You had to dial, and you had the big long cord, so, and, and you had to listen for a dial tone. Does anybody ever remember that? You know, you don't do that anymore. So I wrote down, well, if I'm going to call a friend, I had three steps. Pick up the phone, dial the number, say hello. And so he takes Mr. Postiff was his name. He goes, well, when you picked up the phone, did you consider who you were calling? Did you consider the phone number? Did you listen for the dial tone? Did you dial each number individually? Did you listen for a ring or a busy signal? When the person answered, was it the person you were calling or someone else? What he was demonstrating is there were a lot more steps in the process hidden into something that I thought was very common. And so that's true about faith. There is a lot of things that is going on in faith, the process of activating faith. Now, when it comes to sitting in a chair, we do it in a nanosecond. But when it comes to believing God for finances or healing or salvation for a loved one or somebody to be protected or whatever it is, it seems to come a little bit harder. But let me, uh, let me say this to you. Faith is faith, whether it's sitting in a chair or believing for healing. It's the exercise of faith. 
What it is, is it's activating what you believe about a certain circumstance or situation. It's activating that belief for a, for a desired result. So this is what we're going to look at. We're going to take just a few moments, if we can, and we're going to understand or look at maybe a few of the steps involved in the process of activating our faith. The first one, when we talk about how do we activate our faith, the first one is it begins with anticipation. Faith begins with anticipation. Anticipation is the quality of heart that pushes us forward. I want you to think about it. It is the power behind hunger, okay? That's what anticipation is. It's the power. Has anybody ever gotten hungry here before? I think we all have. We've gotten hungry. You ever, you know, they even make commercials, the hangry, you know, the, you know, the Joe Pesci shows up and they go, they throw the guy a candy bar and it's some other guy. You, you, you know what I'm saying? It's that power that's behind hunger, that pushes us forward. We've all been there and we, you know, you know, you've all been, you've all been in a service that's going long and you're going, man, I want to just go have a pizza or I want to have a cheeseburger. I want to go whatever you, maybe you're cooking a pot roast at home and you're thinking, man, it's going to be a pot roast and mashed potatoes and gravy and carrots. And it's going to be just a wonderful dinner. Preacher, please hurry up, shut up and let's get out of here. Why? Because you're anticipating this goodness, you're anticipating, you're hungry, and somewhere along the line, you want that satisfaction. You want something, there's a craving, there's a desire that you want fulfilled. Well, that's the beginning of faith. That's the very first essence. It's this anticipation. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. So Jesus is even picking up this understanding about hunger and using it and applying it towards wanting righteousness. And he said, blessed are those that are hungry or anticipate or desire righteousness because they will be filled. I remember, I've told this story before in church. I remember years and years ago, Pastor Howard uh, called a fast, and we did a three-day fast. So, and he called it on Sunday, so that Sunday night we started at midnight. We went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we all agreed that the church would break the fast on Wednesday after church. So we're three days in, and most of us were pretty novice at fasting. So, you know, people are, you know, brushing their teeth for 25 minutes just to have some taste in their mouth, you know. And, and so it's going on. We're all kind of struggling and so Howard comes out during that service. He sets up a table. He gets an electric frying pan. Bill, Bill remembers, Rosemary remembers. And he starts cooking bacon while he's preaching. He's just cooking the bacon. He's preaching the sermon, cooking the bacon. And that bacon smell is wafting. Now, remember, we haven't eaten in three days. And, and we're about ready to tackle. We're, we are ready to charge the platform because something, we became hungry. And what Howard's point was at the end of the message is he says, when you hunger for God like that, you'll be filled. And see, and that's where I think, that's where one of the things that I think that we have to, we have to ask ourselves when it comes to faith, especially faith in what God has said, do we really hunger for it? Do we really want what he says? I was talking with a guy today, and uh, we were talking about just some of the things that God is, 
dealing with me about, you know, when you read the Bible on a regular basis and you read through it and you read through it, one of the things that you begin to notice is that all of these people that are mentioned in the Bible, these are people that everything about their life is filled with something of God. In other words, in the Old Testament, everything they did, everything was about God. It was every, Now, I'm not saying it was always positive, but I'm saying they always, there was always this thought. In other words, God was their life. He was not just a part of their life. And see, and I think that's one of the things that's got to change because in modern days, in modern Western thinking, we, we, we have no problem making God a part of our life. But God says, I don't want to be a part. I want to be your life. In Galatians chapter 2.20, he says this, Paul writes, he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, yet I live. He goes, in the life that I live, I live through Christ, and Christ lives through me, and I live by faith in Christ. In other words, I'm not alive anymore, but Christ is alive in me. So everything I do, everywhere I go, everything I think, everything I say, everything, it doesn't matter if I'm doing dishes or if I'm changing the oil in the car or if I'm, you know, cleaning the hoofs on the donkey. Whatever Paul did, making tents or whatever he did, he was doing it in the context of living in God. Because this was, he wanted God, he want, that's all he wanted was God. And so when we talk about faith, faith is such an all-inclusive thing that this is how it should be. Everything should be done in the context of faith, and it begins in this anticipation. Anticipation involves urgency. When we experience an anticipation, there's an, um, there's an urgency that follows. Our desires become important. They become critical. They become pressing, imperative, immediate. That's, that's what's happening. That's that beginning. That's how faith is ignited. It's, I need this. I need God to move. I need an answer from the Lord. I need a touch from, from heaven. I need Jesus to lead me, to guide me, to speak to me. It becomes pressing. There is an urgency. Sometimes I think what happens is we come at faith flippantly. We, we've kind of got this, we've got buzzwords for this, like, well, God, if it's your will, you know, what will be will be, you know. I guess I just accept whatever comes. No, 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 no. Don't accept what comes. Don't, don't, don't go, well, you know. I, and even, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, you're getting resisted. Maybe, maybe God's trying to tell you to back off. If it's in his word, don't back off. Put the pedal to the metal. Push in. Especially if the devil's pushing back. And that's where, that's where maturity steps in, discernment, to know what is good and evil. Am I walking in a way that is glorifying God, or am I walking in a way that's exploiting my flesh? Does that make sense? And so somewhere this is what's happening, because sometimes exploiting the flesh can be intense. Sometimes our flesh can want what it wants, and we want to have all this, and we, we can't confuse that urgency or that anticipation. What we have to say, is this righteous before the Lord? Is this part of his will? If it's in his word, then it's his will. 
And this is where, you know, things like healing and provision and direction and protection, for heaven's sakes, they, he names himself. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. If it was not his will to provide, why would he call himself our provider? His name is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. If, he, if, he wasn't, if it was not his will to, will to heal, then why would he call himself? That would be, that would be like, hey, you know what? I'm a, I'm a marathon runner. <sighs> right. Yeah, go ahead, bro. Put, get me the T-shirt that says I run marathons. Everybody would laugh. The T-shirt that I want to get is I beat anorexia. I, I, it's the T-shirt I want to get. Because <laughs> you know, that kind of really stands out a little bit more. But the, the, the reality is, is that God names himself literally after his will or his desire for us. Jehovah Shammah, I am the God that's there. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord God, your peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He's Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord God, your righteousness. So if those things were not his will, if that was not something that he wanted for us on a daily basis, he would have never called himself that. So we can be intense about that, but also with the flesh, we can be intense about the flesh, but we got to separate that. So we need this urgency. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 11, 1, it says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What is he talking about? He's saying, look at, don't throw away the confidence that you have in what he is doing. I have a confidence. People come up and I get routinely asked about healing. Routinely. And they say, well, you're not healed. I don't care. I don't go by what I see. I go by his word. And I know, I know sometimes that can get me in trouble. And I know that that can be controversial. But I have made a decision. I don't care what the symptoms or circumstances are. I'm going by what he said. I can't explain it. I don't always understand it. I cannot uh, articulate sometimes the timing of God. But this is what I know. Jesus, by his stripes, paid the price for my healing. Absolute. The Bible says this. It says in John chapter, thir- on John chapter 3, I believe it's verse 15, I think. It's 14 or 15. It says that just as the serpent was uh, lifted up in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. When you go back to the story, what had happened is that uh, uh, the children of Israel had gotten themselves in trouble and these fiery serpents came out and bit them. Many of them died. Many of them got sick. They called Moses. Moses called on God. And God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Make a, you're going to make a brazen serpent, put it on a pole and hold it up in the air. And everyone that looks at that serpent will be healed. And the implication is forgiven. Okay. So it says, just as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man. Why? So when we look to him on the cross and what he paid for on that cross by his sacrifice, we apply that healing to our body. That's the confidence I have. He said, well, it didn't work. I, I can't explain it. I don't know. Don't know. Don't care. 
I don't care. I, I've, I've, I've locked it down. Don't care because I'm going to trust him, period. Does that make sense? So that's that urgency. Anticipation also involves excitement. So what is he talking about? So think about this just for a moment. Anticipation. It's that thing that drives hunger. It's also that sense of urgency. But there's also a sense of excitement. Imagine your kids being told they're going to Disneyland. If we would ever told, when our kids were little, if we would have told them like a week beforehand, they would not have let us alone. So we didn't generally tell them we were going anywhere until we were in the car halfway there. Where are we going? Well, we'll tell you when we get halfway there. Otherwise, they would bug us to death. Okay, so there is this excitement. I'm excited. I can't wait to see. This is like answer to prayer. This is the thing that I think about. I'm excited to see what God is going to do next. What is he going to do? I'm looking. See, excitement looks it's, it, it's, 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 is daddy coming home? You, you little kid looking out the window. They're excited. I'm looking. So I'm looking for the father. I'm looking. I'm looking for uh, clues. I'm looking for changes. I'm looking. What's happening? What's going on? And so I'm looking for God in these circumstances because I'm excited. Does that make sense to you? So the next thing that we look at first we have this anticipation then we have this thing called expectation faith goes from anticipation and then it moves into expectation i expect things to happen i expect them i expect his word to come to pass i expect it now again i think the challenge is oftentimes when we don't see it in the timing that we think or in the way that we think, then we tend to try to alter our expectation. Don't do that. Don't alter it. Don't, don't give reason. Well, why is this happening this way? I don't know. Don't care. I just expect this to happen. I, I've been, for some reason, God has had me on this story, and I've actually given it to a couple people as a word from the Lord. But remember Elijah. They're going, there was a time in Israel's history where they were going through a famine, they were going through a drought, and God was going to take care of the prophet. And he tells Elijah, he says, I want you to go to the brook Cherith because I've commanded, now listen to the wording, because I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now he could have went to the Wallapai Mountains, but, and that would have been his choice, but the ravens were going to the brook Cherith because the ravens were more obedient. So Elijah goes to the brook Cherith. Why? Because he's expecting God to come through with what he said. He, sa I, he says, I don't know how, how where are ravens going to get food for me? Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe the ravens fly into Ahab's house and steal a steak off the grill. I don't know. It's happened before. We, we had a guy several years ago. He was a homeless guy that would work for us here at the church. He wanted to be homeless. We, we actually said, we'll get you an apartment, all this, and we'll help you. He goes, no, I like my tent out in the desert. And so one day he, he had made a bunch of money, had done a bunch of yard work, and he went and got him a steak down at Bash's. And he went to his camp, which his camp was 
way back over here. And he's got this little hibachi grill and he's cooking on it. And he goes into his tent and when he comes out, a fox comes up and steals his steak and takes off. He's chasing that fox all around. He's got this stick. He's throwing rocks at it. Finally, that, that fox dropped the steak on the ground. He went and I said, what'd you do? He said, I went and got it and washed it off. He goes, he didn't eat much. <laughs> he goes, it was my steak. You know, and so that's what I'm talking about. So here, here's, here's uh, Elijah. He goes to the brook Cherith. It doesn't matter why. He's expecting God to do what God said he would do. I commanded the ravens to feed you there. Then something happens that's unique in this story. All of a sudden, the brook dries up. And this is the amazing thing because as Christians, we, you know, I, I know me. I go, oh, thanks, God. <laughs> Get me out here in the middle of nowhere. Put me in this brook. You got these birds bringing food in. Not sure I could. What kind of disease do these birds have? And now the water runs dry. What are you doing to me, God? And God's saying, we're, we're going to move again, John. Just calm down. Because I want you to go to Zarephath because I've commanded a little woman, a widow woman there to feed you there. The key word in these stories is there. And that's the expectation. See, you, if, if you have expectation, if God says, go to the brook Cherith and I'm going to feed you there, but you decide, well, I'm going to go to the Wallapites because I'm going to do it my way, you have no reason to have expectation. You can expect all you want, but you're going to come up empty. Is that making sense? So expectation has to be linked with what he has said. He said, go there. So I'm going there. He said, if, if, I've had God say, I want you to read five chapters out of the Bible today. Don't care what ones you read, just read five. Why five? Because I said so. Okay. I want you to read three. Or I want, you to, I want you to pray a certain way for this certain time. Why? Because this is what I want you to do. Okay. I have an expectation that he's doing something that I don't have the ability to completely understand but I expect it's going to come to pass. Does that make sense? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of the things which are visible. Once again, it, by faith we understand, we know, and we are confident. We can expect, even though we don't understand it or see it, it's still at work. This is the thing that I think undermines most people's faith is when they don't perceive God moving. They don't perceive it. They don't see it. It's like, what, what, what's he doing? I don't know, but he's working. I guarantee you he's working. You may not see it, and you might not see it for days in advance. It might be months. I remember years ago I fasted. One time there was a situation in our life, and and I thought I was fasting for this particular thing. And, and so I had fasted, and I'm, I'm coming to the end of the fast. And a person came up to me and gave me a word and said, you know, John, I, I, I didn't know this, but God just showed me that you've been fasting. And I didn't tell anybody. And this person gave me this word, says, you've been fasting. God wants you to know that you haven't been fasting for what you think. You've been fasting for something God's going to do in the future. 
And sometimes we don't always know. God says, my ways are above your ways. My thoughts are above your thoughts. And sometimes we don't always know. And so what ends up happening is we put God into, ex- we put God into these boxes. Yeah. What we need to do is expect he will do what he said. Leave the method up to him. Are you hearing me? One man put it this way. He said, expectation is one of the secrets of good success. Expectation is the mother of manifestation. Without right expectation, your future will be aborted. So we have to have anticipation. We have to have expectation. Probably the greatest scripture was the story of the man at the gate. Beautiful. Acts chapter 3 Verses 1 through 8, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. I love that. The reason I underlined this, I think it's in your notes. The reason I underlined this is because of the fact that they, he was expecting to receive something. He didn't know what it was going to be. He's probably thinking, they're going to give me some money. But his expectation was they were, he was going to receive. He was expecting to receive Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaped up and stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. What is the bottom line? We get what we expect. This is why your words are so absolutely powerful. I knew it. I knew it. I just knew this was going to happen. World's always against me. Everybody hates me. No one likes me. I expected it. I expected that's what... No, I expect victory. I expect... I, I expect to win... You say, why? I, and I tell people, I go, I win. They go, why? Because I'm a child of God. I win. And I don't win in the, I'm not winning your race. I'm winning my race. In other words, I'm not saying I'm better than you or worse than you. I'm just saying I win. I'm a winner. I win. I win. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm the above and not the beneath. I lend. I don't borrow. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Those, that's the Word of God, and that's what I expect. Now, I'll be honest with you, church. There are times when I struggle with this. I'm not, I know that I'm, I'm up here teaching this and saying it with confidence, and, and saying it with confidence and living it with confidence oftentimes are two different things. And there are times when I sit on the edge of my bed wondering if I'm going to make it today, if I'm going to really get this done. And so what I have to do is I have to push through and I have, to, I have a great wife that I could talk to that, that helps me, that challenges me, that loves me, that cares for me. And she's learned over the 37 years of our relationship, she's learned when to really push and she's learned when to be gentle and I thank God for that. And we help each other. I have friends, I have 
pastors on staff. I have friends outside of the church. I have people that help me and care about me and, and, and do that together. And it's, it's, it's a part of a team. It's a part of a group of people. But even if you only have one, that's okay. It's one more than you had yesterday. And so allow them to speak into your life. And don't, don't, don't go into this place where your words now begin to undermine your faith by creating a false expectation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, now the last one is participation. So we have anticipation, expectation. The last one is participation. So there's seven things that I want to show you very quickly, and I'm going to try to do this quick because there's a lot of Scripture here. First one is declare. Declare. We have got to get to a point where we understand the power of declaring. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible calls you. You are a son or daughter of God. You are the bride of Christ. If God were to elevate you any higher, he would have to dismantle the Godhead. You're the bride. You sit on the throne with him. So the only way you can get any higher in rank in heaven is for the Godhead to split apart, and that can't can't happen. Because if that were to happen, God ceases to be God. So it's impossible. So you are at the, you are, Jesus through his salvation, by your faith in his salvation, and what he did on the cross lifted you to the point where you cannot be elevated any higher. Therefore, you have the right and privilege of declaration, especially when it is in line with the word of God. You can declare what God's already declared. Are you hearing me? So in in Zechariah 4, 6 and 7, it says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you? So he goes, he's, he's coming up with a plan. Obviously, there's some resistance. There's a problem. Something's happening. And, and, and God comes on the, on, the, on the scene and he says, Look, Zerubbabel, this isn't going to be by your, your arm. This isn't going to be by human strength or power, but it's going to be by my spirit. And he says, say, who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. What's happening? He's declaring. He's declaring. He's speaking to that obstacle. He's speaking to that hindrance. He's speaking to that problem. Grace, grace unto it. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes uh, that those things he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Again, it's talking about the hindrance. There's always somebody in every congregation go, oh, you're going to talk to the Wallapais? If the Wallapais needed to move to accomplish the will of God, God would empower me to cast it into the sea. Okay, now, we're not going to be presumptuous and start just moving random mountains around. The, the power of God is not a toy. It's not a toy. Let me, can I say something real quick? Part of the reason you don't have more power, you're not mature enough to have it. Is that too hard? The, the, and it's, it's, it's because... If you think about this, if you had the power of God, if all power you had it, and then you started going wild with your conversation, you could really bring destruction. Yeah. 
You're driving down the road. Why, idiot! That word just went out, man. It's got power. He can't, he's got it. This is why we have to grow. We have to have the ballast of maturity. Otherwise, we fly off out of control and we become destructive. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who, who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist as though they did. God called those things that did not exist as though they did. So in other words, we can speak like a, a child that's wayward. They are saved. They're living for God. Your body is healed. You have more than enough. God's coming through. You can declare it. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you, this is the amazing thing. Our very salvation is cooperation with him and our declaration. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What did we do? You are my Lord and Savior. I believe you died and rose again, paid the price for me, you, and I ask you to forgive me, and I, I, I confess you as my Savior, speaking that into existence. Number two, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I love this because I've told this story before. This is, this is the participation part. This is the actual sitting your butt in the chair part. What we do is sometimes we have to thank God. Jonah's in the belly of the fish. We know the story, chapter 2. He's, chapter 1, he got thrown out of the boat. Chapter 2, he's in the belly of the fish. He's lamenting it. He's repenting. He's calling on God. All of these things, there's really interesting verses through that whole thing. And then in verse 9, he says this, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed, salvation of the Lord. In other words, he was thanking God for his deliverance before he was delivered. Thanksgiving is an activation of faith. Number three, make a de decision and get determined. You know, the, the, I think this is so often what happens. A lot of us just, we kind of wander around and we don't really get locked on. I love this story, Matthew 9, 20 through 21. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch, the, the, uh, touch his garment, I shall be made well. In other words, she, was, she made a decision and she got determined. There's a whole lot going on here. This is a woman that has suffered this for 12 years, no answers. She's lost all her money. She's lost her friends. She has no intimacy with anybody. This is, she now has to go through life uh, yelling, unclean, unclean. It's horribly embarrassing, all of this. Jesus comes on the scene. There's a throng of people pushing and shoving and touching him. But she determines, I'm getting to him and going to touch them of his garment at the risk of being stoned because she was unclean. And she pressed in, she touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus realizes it, turns and said, who touched me? And the disciples go, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. He goes, no, no, no. And in one translation, he says, somebody touched me. Somebody made a demand of my ability. When she touched the hem of his garment, and there's a whole thing about that too, because it talks about healing in his wings. And for a rabbi, the the, the, the fringe of his robe was considered his wings. And she knew that the Messiah, 
she could touch the hem of his garment. There would be healing there because that was what was prophesied. So she made a determination. She made a decision, and she got there. I am going to be healed. I'm going to be healed at church. I'm going. I've seen people go, no, I'm coming in. Don't look. Get out of my way. I won't shake hands. I'm coming down on the front. I'm getting healed today. And they come in, and they get healed. Why? Because they were determined, and they made a decision. Number four, hold your ground. Hold your ground. He says, you know what? In Ephesians 6, we know the story. He says, he says stand. Having done all to stand. Stand. You can read the scripture later. In other words, you put on the armor, you get all suited up. Hold your ground. Don't quit. I'm not backing off this. I'm not stopping. I've been holding my ground for 40 years. I'll hold it for another 40. I don't care. I'm holding my ground. Number five, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them through, through faith and patience inherit the promise. Faith, faith and patience are partners. They work together. Sometimes you've got to wait on God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 Patient endurance is what you need now so you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Number six, feed your faith. Feed your faith. We feed our doubts. We need to feed our faith. We need to starve our doubts and feed our faith. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I'm telling you, there's something inherently powerful about the Word of God. And I don't care if it's even you're reading what they call the begats. John begat Andy. Andy begat Oliver. And it's like, what difference does it make? Read it anyway. I, when I read through the Old Testament, I push through the law and read it. The law doesn't mean anything to me anymore because it's all fulfilled in Christ. All the dietary issues and all of the different things of how to do the sacrifices and all that. All of that's been taken care of in Christ, but I still read it. Why? Because there's power in it. Amen. It didn't pass away. It's just fulfilled in Him. It's still active and alive, but in Him. He, he is the fulfillment of it. He accomplished all of it. And so by faith in Him, it's imputed to me in righteousness. But when I read the Word, the Word has the power to stir my faith. And then finally, as we close, draw close to Him in worship. I can't tell you how much that will do for you. There's been times when um, I've been struggling, didn't know what to do, wanted to quit, wanted to just whatever, and come down to the church or get in my truck and drive or, or whatever and just turn on some music. And when I say this, it's good to turn on music and listen. That's good. But worship him in it. Talk to him. Say, Lord, I love you. And sometimes you won't, your flesh won't want to. Your flesh will say, the last thing I want to do is worship God. But if your spirit will override that and say, no, I'm going to worship him. I'm going to worship him. Something transpires in that moment and faith is activated. Does that make sense? Yes. Praise God. Well, I got you done a little bit early. <laughs> About eight minutes early. So why don't we just take a moment and we'll close in a word of prayer.
and we'll let you get out of here, okay? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, we pray that you help us, that you stir us. Father, that uh, help us to activate our faith, to continually activate our faith. Lord, that we would, that we would anticipate, God, that we would expect, with, that we would have expectation and that we would participate in it, Father. And we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to me tonight. God bless you. We'll see you. We're going to have one more life lesson next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.